Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, a second U.S. government agency determining now that a Chinese lab leak most likely caused the COVID pandemic. It's unbelievable. I mean, finally, we're getting some honesty. Finally, we're getting some in-depth research and open-mindedness on what caused the death of millions of people. And they want credit for it. They, they, they appear to want a pat on the back for finally getting to be honest. Well, a lot of us have known this all along. A lot of us have been willing to approach this issue with an open mind all along. Dr. Fauci is not on that list. Francis Collins, who ran the NIH, is not on that list. And the mainstream media is not on that list. And the way they're now trying to cover for this report, for their own ineptitude and being open minded to this to to begin with, is equally disgusting. We're going to get into all of it as an as another equally disgusting thread emerges in our national conversation, which is this absurd racial division that has been stoked by those same media outlets and confirmed leftists, woke leftists, for the past few years to the point where we are now probably as divided as we've been in decades on the subject of race. Scott Adams of Dilbert fame, the cartoonist who's called many things having to do with Donald Trump right over the past several years, uh, now effectively canceled for comments he made about how he is now resolving to avoid black people because he says they're racist citing a Rasmussen poll that we will get into. Um, He was canceled. He's not going to be appearing in most newspapers anymore. But what about the left's equally racist comments? Let's go through what Joy Reid has said openly and on the air. Ellie Mistel, her favorite commentator, who she puts on every night, equally racist to anything Scott Adams just said. He's out there every night. Why the double standard? How is that okay? These people openly hate white people. And they're fine. They get away with it. Scott Adams, he's done. He's canceled. Is it fair? Is it right? What does it say about us? This is we get Sally Field. Everybody loves Sally Field. She's not that controversial, right? She gets up there last night at the SAG Awards and gets a Lifetime Achievement Award. Good for you, Sally. They like me. They really like me. No, the speech this time was, I'm sorry for being a little white girl with privilege. I just want to let you know, I I would basically little white girls have privilege. And I understand I'm not I didn't work as hard as you did. Oh, my God. That's where we are this Monday at the end of February 2023. And by the way, we just hit a milestone on our show. We have now reached 500 episodes in our podcast and our archives. And I will say to our credit, we've covered all of these issues with an open, skeptical mind on the mainstream narratives. And it's worked out. Our our factual credibility had to put it up against anybody's. And that's all you need is an open mind and some skepticism against the mainstream narratives, especially when it touches on anything that is considered, quote, woke, right? It's racist to say that this virus came from a lab. You're a racist if you believe that. Oh, really? Okay, tell it to the Department of Energy uh, because they're just the latest to come out and say that's exactly what happened here. What better way to get to all of this than with my good friends, Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew Pinsky? For years, they hosted the cultural phenomenon Loveline on MTV, where young men and women called in for advice on sex, love, relationships, whatever. Now, Adam is celebrating 14 years of his podcast, the hit podcast, The Adam Carolla Show. Dr. Drew hosts uh, the Ask Dr. Drew Show, and together they host 
The Adam and Dr. Drew Show. All right, so welcome back to the show. Adam, let me start with you. I, I'm, I've had it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm angry um, about the, like, I get, I appreciate that the Department of Energy, according to the Wall Street Journal, has come around to this. And by the way, it's not just like the general department. It's this Z group that apparently is very legit, Z division, the, in, the Intel arm of the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, which specializes in assessments of the nuclear and biological weapons activities of foreign states. Their work is rarely disclassified, quoting now from National Review, often heavily redacted. And this same Z division had been studying this in June of 2021. And even back then was saying this plausible, this thing about lab leak is plausible, deserves further investigation. Now we have a low, a low confidence report from them that it came from a lab. The FBI said we have moderate confidence it came from a lab. They still got four other intelligence agencies saying natural origin. And we're supposed to pretend it's just a he said, she said, I guess, you know, you everybody can make their own conclusions. Bull, baloney. What do you make of it? Well, first off, why are we taking China's word for anything ever? That's the jumping off point. What would we listen to China for? Who lies more than China? Who steals more technology than China? So who are we dealing with? We're not dealing with Denmark or Sweden. We're dealing with China. So first off, anything they say, I assume is a lie. Number one. Number two, I have a hypothetical for CNN. Let's just say this lab existed in Waco, Texas. The same lab was in Waco, Texas, and this same coronavirus escaped from this lab. And then the lab said it came from an armadillo. Would CNN buy that? My question. Obviously, Mm -hmm. no, they wouldn't. They would never stop saying this was from the lab in in Waco, Texas. So the bizarre part about this whole thing is the news outlets. It's not really China. China's just doing what China does. It's the view at CNN. It's you know L.A. Times, New York Times. How are they? How are they so sure of something that nobody knew? Like why were they not agnostic about? I'll it? tell you. How I'll tell you. I have an answer to that. His name is Dr. Fauci. And he had some partners in crime like Dr. Francis Collins, head of the NIH. And these lemmings in the mainstream media were spoon fed their absurd, biased and partisan driven narrative and went with it without question. I'll just give you this. I love Morning Wire on the Daily Wire. Listen to it today. They had a great soundbite from Francis Collins. Uh, Here he was in 2020 on the subject of the lab leak. This guy headed up the NIH, Fauci's boss. Here he was, and this is directly responsible for how a lot of the media wound up saying, no way was it a lab leak. Listen. There have been a lot uh, of those conspiracy theories around. And, you know, it was not a crazy idea when this first burst onto the scene to say, where did this come from? And particularly because there is a virology lab right there in Wuhan, uh, some people wanted to jump to the conclusion there must be a connection there. Well, of course, there's virology labs in other places, too. If you were trying to design a more dangerous coronavirus, you would never have designed this one. So I think one could say with great confidence that in this case, the bioterrorist was nature. In its own way, which has been going on for centuries, has viruses that can jump from species and occasionally into us. And that's often where serious trouble starts, whether it's influenza or whether now it's COVID-19. 
conspiracy theories, Adam. And here, just taking you back, um, I did a talking points memo on this. Um, Debbie will remind me what the date of it was, but we got an in-depth look at the emails between Fauci and Collins, thanks to House Republicans who were then in the minority. And it outlines how Fauci and Collins were talking to the top virologists in the world uh, not long after this broke. And here's a couple. Uh, One of the scientists, Sir Jeremy Farrar, sent an email to these guys saying, I think it was a lab leak theory. He relayed the thoughts of two more experts, Robert Gary of Tulane, Michael Farzan of the Scripps Research Institute. Robert Gary, they said, he he can't think of a plausible natural scenario. Farzan favored lab leak over natural origin 70 to 30, maybe 60, 40. Um, On and on, where they advised Fauci and Collins, it's a lab leak. This is a lab leak. Then they had a little conference call. And suddenly, I mean, within two days, all those scientists did a complete 180 saying this was clearly not from a lab and it was not manipulated by man. And not only that, it's racist. You're a bigot if you say it came from the Wuhan lab. They got mobbed, mob bossed out of their legitimately held opinions by Fauci and Collins in my reporting view. And we now know that Fauci and Collins and these other virologists and scientists were browbeating people in the media and at state and elsewhere in the government, dissuading them from making any mention of the lab leak theory and saying it was both racist and a conspiracy theory and fringe. So you weren't allowed to talk about it. You weren't allowed to even mention it because these two dishonest brokers were running government health. Go ahead, Adam. Well, the real question is, what is the media doing? I get what Fauci is doing, and I guess it comes down with CNN. It's like they hate Trump more than they love the truth or reporting. I don't know what the media is doing in this situation. I get there's a theme. I get they're on Team Fauci. But isn't this one case? The, where the virus came from, which should be the biggest question on anyone's mind, was completely destroyed by the media. I mean, they screwed it 10 ways to Sunday, and it's the opposite of reporting. I mean, think about what reporting is. It's like rolling up your sleeves, interviewing people, getting to the bottom of things. It's, it's it, the part that's miraculous about this entire chapter for me is the media. It's not Fauci or China or Biden or any of those things. It's what what is the media doing? They're taking the word of people in power and never asking questions. And yes, steering everything back to race, which I know we'll get on to in a few minutes, is sickening. And it 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 has dangerous um there there it, it There are things that come off it that are much more dangerous than we can imagine, such as this case, because we infused race into a subject that did not need race infused into it at all. We're simply trying to figure out where this virus came from because it got race grafted onto it. People got Mm -hmm. scared to talk about it. And then they essentially lied. And, And by the way, the bigger question is what's up with the American public? You don't know that CNN, you don't know what Fauci's up to, you don't NIH, you don't WHO, you don't get what these people are doing. 
how many swings and misses, how many times can they be wrong before you, the people, sort of wake up and start asking a couple of questions? Yes, my God, exactly right. And even back then, because there were many of us who had no agenda whatsoever when it came to COVID other than what's real. That's all we wanted to know. There were many of us who didn't see it as an opportunity to bring down Trump. We just saw it as a massive virus that was killing a lot of people. We wanted to figure it out who were asking honest questions and shamed, you know, being shamed for just asking honest questions. Dr. Drew, you were one of them. But to Adam's point, can I just give you a flavor of how the media was reacting to the idea that this thing came from a lab? Watch conspiracy that coronavirus was man-made in a lab in Wuhan, China. There is no reason to believe any of these conspiracy theories that it was leaked from the lab. Like it was a conspiracy of some kind. Fringe theory that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan, China. A conspiracy theory about COVID coming from a lab in Wuhan. Flurry of conspiracy theories. The idea that this escaped from a lab is pure baloney. Complete baloney. Conspiracy theories that it somehow escaped the lab that was in Wuhan. I think that's unlikely. Matt Taibbi put that together in a Substack. We could go on. I mean, the, the New York Times um, COVID reporter, Apoorva, uh, I can't remember her last name, Mandavili, um, she, she came out explicitly and said, this is racist. It is racist to say that's their COVID reporter. Where's her apology today? Go ahead, Dr. Drew. I, I wish we had something like that. But the real comedy to pile on uh, to what you both have said is that... It's racist to say that Wuhan lab, a high level three, you know, uh, virology center of, of uh, ex, you know, international reputation had an accident. That is racist. But to say the Chinese people are dirty and awful and are exposed to wet markets and bats and are eating bats and pangolins, that is not racist. And that, that is the incredible thing in this for me, is that we take one absolutely racist point of view and call the other racist. It's it's too much to be believed. And so much is embedded in this whole story. It's, it's incredible. If you follow back to Matt Taibbi, you mentioned his uh, Twitter files where he was showing the exchange between Dr. Fauci and his colleagues when the vi- virus broke out. You see the exchange where they're saying, oh, this must be that thing the EcoHealth Alliance funded. This must be that. 75, they were saying literally 75% probability this is that lab leak. What are we going to do about this? They're back and forth for about 10 days. And then suddenly, this is a FOIA document that got access to these, these emails. The, the, the trail goes silent. For a week, there's not one exchange that you can see at this point. They're trying to get some keywords in there so they can try to figure out what happened in that week. But clearly, that week has been redacted or withheld in some way. And exactly seven days later, Nature article is published by these same guys who are Mm -hmm. saying that it is a lab leak. Nature article published debunking the lab leak, supporting this notion of a wet market source, a zoonotic source for which there has never been any evidence. The thing about SARS-1 and many of the other uh, pandemics that we've had out there, they found they, they many animals have been studied. They can't find any precursors or any smoking guns. In the previous pandemics, they studied the wet markets. They found the source. Zero evidence of their racist theory. And the other tested, one is called a conspiracy theory. Yeah, and where is the conspiracy? What exactly is the conspiracy they're talking about when somebody just says, let's look at the evidence and see what happened here? That's a conspiracy. Incredible.
You know, um, National Review had a good piece out today by the editors talking about how calling attention to some reporting done by ProPublica and Vanity Fair. The lead reporter is this woman, Catherine Eban, who I will be open about. And then there's Jeff Cow of ProPublica. She's uh, she annoys me when she did earlier report, reporting on this. We asked her repeatedly to come on and share her reporting with our audience. No. Oh, really? Do you get a ton of TV intervi- interviews, uh, Catherine? You don't. You barely get exposure to any audience that is more in the middle or fair and balanced. You only go on MSNBC. That's all she would do, Drew. She wouldn't come on. So fine. Uh, you know what? Our audience doesn't tend to read Vanity Fair or ProPublica, uh, but I've been bringing her reporting. So screw her. But anyway, <laughs> the reporting <laughs> itself is solid. And I want I want to just highlight some of it, OK, because it is not a mystery. It was a lab leak. There is an overwhelming probability that that's what it was. And to pretend it's a 50 50 is a lie, too. It's not it's not a 50 50. This is October 2022. In that reporting, there was a guy named Toy Reed, definitely not to be confused with Joy Reed. The man's name is Toy. He's a China specialist for Rancorp and a political officer in East Asia for the State Department. For 15 months, he loaned his skill set, quoting from the article, to a nine person team dedicated to investigating the mystery of covid's origins. It was commissioned by Senator Richard Burr, a Republican. From North Carolina, and they released an interim report this past October. They concluded COVID was more likely than not the result of a research-related incident, meaning lab leak. Uh, they go into the great details about what happened. This guy, uh, who speaks the language and understands the dispatches, found on their website, it was not public, but it was still available, um, all the communications going on inside the lab. And what he d- determined was, first of all, the CCP CCP op- operates 16 party branches inside of the Wuhan lab. All right. The government's got 16 party branches inside of it where scientists meet regularly. Party branch dispatches described intense pressure to produce scientific breakthroughs inside that lab that would elevate China's standing on the world stage, despite a dire lack of essential resources, including safety protocols. And then in the fall of 2019, the dispatches took a darker turn. They referenced inhumane working conditions and hidden safety dangers. On November 12th of 2019, a dispatch by party branch members at the lab appeared to reference a biosecurity breach. These viruses come without a shadow, they warned, and leave without a trace. They said once you have opened the store test tubes, it is just as if having opened Pandora's box. Although we have various preventative and protective measures, it is nevertheless necessary for lab personnel to operate very cautiously to avoid operational errors that gave rise to dangers. Nine days later, they were reprimanded by Beijing officials directly at an in-person meeting at the lab. It appears to have been blessed by Xi himself. Um, experts outside of this guy, Toy Reed, several others, uh, experts on CCP communications, tell the author, the writers, these Wuhan lab dispatches indeed signaled that the Institute faced an acute safety emergency in November of 2019, that officials at the highest level of the Chinese government weighed in on it, that urgent action was taken in an effort to address ongoing safety issues, uh, that the officials descended from the CCP to discuss a complex and grave situation that had happened at the lab and, and included a message that appeared to come directly from Xi, who had clearly been briefed personally on whatever it was that happened in that lab in November 2019. All these experts agreed this was an urgent, non-routine uh, issue, and it was related to some sort of biosafety emergency at the lab. I'm done. I'm yeah, done uh, with listen, the media that runs cover. For there's, more. There, there's a little more, which is people have forgotten because, of course, to Adam's point, the press doesn't report this. 
that in 2021, the, the Department of Energy is not the first department at the administration to determine that this was likely a live week, lab, lab leak. The FBI came out even more strongly in 2021, and that quietly disappeared. So there are multiple agencies agreeing with the Department of Energy, and some are slowly turning who don't agree. But the FBI itself took this position over a year and a half ago. Dr. Drew, you were smeared for asking questions about COVID. And this lab leak thing is not the only thing in the news today. Now we get um, late last week, Brett Stevens of The New York Times. He's conservative, but he writes for The Times. He's sort of acceptable to The Times um, about this, the the largest sort of meta study of masking that has concluded quietly because the mainstream won't report on it, that masking did absolutely no good, made absolutely no difference virtually in in any setting. It wasn't just schools. It's just masking doesn't work to prevent COVID. And uh, David Zweig, who's been on this program many times, he's written for New York Magazine, among many others, and he's been an honest science reporter from the start on this, pointed out that only appeared in the opinion pages of the New York Times. You know, he's an opinion columnist, Brett Stevens, and a a right-leaning one at that. Not in the science pages. A Mm -hmm. poor Vamandavelli, nothing. She didn't bother to talk about it. So the masking was pointless. This Mm -hmm. thing did start in a lab from the look of it. And on top of that, now we've got admissions by Fauci on the record that um, these vaccines may not do all that they were cracked up to be. And uh, there, there was just a comprehensive study that proved that natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity. <laughs> all right. the things, all the things turned out to be oh, true. Oh, there's and one not more to add to the list. Fringy things. There's another one to add to the list because the, the, the dominoes are following. The, and I'll, I'll defer to Adam in a second on the masking because he has some very strong opinions about that. But, but it's also lockdowns. Lockdowns did nothing. Now, I want to be very careful on masking before we proceed with that conversation, which is there are three studies. The latest is the Cochrane study meta-analysis. Cochrane is the highest level standard of meta-analysis. There's no more higher standard for quality than Cochrane. A, mask mandates don't work. Individual masks, and again, what kind of mask, really respirators higher than N95, worn perfectly 100% of the time, that may have some benefit in protecting an individual over a particular time course. But mask mandates does not work. That was the Cochrane analysis. It was the gigantic Bangladesh study and the original Danish study, which was years ago, also proved the same thing. Great excitement about that Danish study. Couldn't get it published. It finally came out in Annals of Internal Medicine, and then it was quietly pushed aside. But there are three now. Mask mandates don't work. But lockdowns, to me, are the more interesting story because lockdowns, the the email chain now shows us from the Twitter files, lockdown came from the Chinese Communist Party hoodwinking our scientists who went to China to figure out what was going on, hoodwinked them into believing that the political maneuver, not medical maneuver, it's never been contemplated as a medical maneuver, the political maneuver of locking down was somehow thus set the Lord and our people convinced Italy to do it and the world followed. That is just an incredible story and it appears to have done nothing. Adam, I'll defer to you on masking. I'd love to get you to weigh in on masking, Adam, because that's another one that, so Brett Stevens points this out in the New York Times and the meltdown is almost immediate. I mean, you've got people like Taylor Lorenz saying, don't believe Brett Brett Stevens on anything. It's like, well, it wasn't a Brett Stevens opinion piece. He was uh, citing 
this meta analysis of many studies by Cochrane. Like, do you believe them? Uh, And all these other people on the left come out and say, like, it's absurd, right? Put it. Why doesn't the New York Times have the guts to put it on the science pages to actually report what capital T, capital S, the science has concluded? Well, I think you're asking the media to essentially report on themselves and they're not going to do it. If the media was a little more agnostic during this whole period, if the media had said masking, I don't know. We have to follow the science. I'm not sure if it works or not. Or I don't know where this virus emanated from. Could it be a lab? Could it be a wet market? Um, I don't know about the vaccines. If the media had not lied, and I'm, I'm saying they, they lied, because when you make a mistake, you go back and correct it. But when you lie, you defend your lie. So what we're asking the media to do, whether it be masking or where the vaccine, uh, vaccine efficacy or where the virus emanated from, or Twitter and the Twitter files, we're asking them to report on themselves they're not going to do it. And that's why it's radio silence. Every time one of these big stories, I mean, think about the theme. Oh, uh, another story drops from the Twitter file. Another story drops about masking not being effective. And then we go, where is the media on this? Well, let me tell you where the media is. They're silent because they would be reporting on themselves. So I don't Mm -hmm. expect these people to report on themselves. They're going to have to say either they were stupid or they're lying. That's what essentially they are going to have to say when they report on that. So don't expect them to report on this. But something I was yelling about on our podcast the other week is think about this notion, because I did a lot of commercial flying during COVID and had many an argument about a mask on an airplane. Just think about this concept mask up between bites they tell you they yell at you to wear a mask on the plane for 20 minutes before you take off and then they hand you a sack of fiesta mix and a fresca and they tell you you can go ahead and take your mask off but in between bites of the fiesta mix you have to pull the mask back up that's patently insane it's insane I don't know why anybody at that point went, look, I don't know if masks are effective or not effective, but you can't mask up in between bites. That's like, that's a zero. That's the same as not wearing a mask. It, I still get back to the people. Um, you know, CNN was doing what they were doing. Um, MSNBC, whatever, Los Angeles Times, they're doing what they're doing. What were people doing? People were dutifully masking up in between bites like sheep, like cowards, like idiots. Mm-hmm. I know, but we had no choice. It was like to be on the airplane. You know, you didn't want to be one of those people who wound up in a viral video getting thrown off for not complying with their stupid rules. I've told the audience this story, but my one friend gave me we were on the same uh, flight and she was a Democrat who got pulled. She got red pilled by what happened during covid. She gave me this mask. It looked like women's underwear. It was totally mesh. You could see everything through it. I'm like, I'll do it. So I put the women's underwear. It was a mask, but it looked like women's underwear on my face. And the flight attendant comes over and she bends down. She goes, is that FAA compliant? 
I was like, <laughs> if I can pretend that your mask mandate is doing something, you can pretend that this women's underwear is doing something on my face. Like, it's absurd. And by the end of the flight, by the way, she asked me where I got it. So she was secretly wanting one anyway. But the mask, just Dr. Drew, just to go back to the mask thing. No, it was the most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific yeah. studies conducted yeah. on the efficacy of masks, Ma- not just mask mandates, masks. And, and and they don't work, as you point out. Maybe the N95 on an individual basis on, depends on the circumstance. But those right. masks, those medical masks, we were all, that's what the study oh, said. No, masks those don't work. did those don't not work. work. No. They didn't no, work. Don't. There's no evidence, they said, that they mm-hmm. make any difference. Right. And instead of saying, oh, we were wrong, you've got this lunatic Taylor Lorenz who writes for The Washington Post. Don't believe a single word he writes about COVID. Again, it's this isn't from Brett Stevens. If these papers had any guts, try not to swear or be crude. I promised my mother I would try for Lent. I know I failed last <laughs> year. I'm giving it another shot. Um, then they would they would write the truth, but they won't. So in any event, that's masks. And then. um on the on the natural immunity thing, Dr. Drew, the natural immunity thing. That's another meta study reviewing a total of 65 studies from 19 different countries. Finally, it gets published in The Lancet, which has been so dishonest as well. The, the Lancet and Nature and Science have all published things that are just completely bass backwards, um, saying that natural immunity cut the risk of hospitalization and death from a covid reinfection by 88 percent for at least 10 months, way better than vaccine immunity. And yet, can I tell you, we still haven't pulled on all the vaccine mandates. Even at my school, the vaccine mandates are in place for 16 and up. Yeah. You won't yeah. listen to reason. Yeah. Th- that's that's the part that is so, mis- you know, I'm, I always try to understand other people's points of view. It helps me clarify my own. But this is still a mystery to me. Why, in the face of overwhelming data, are they pushing so hard on the vaccines, particularly for children? I, I don't I don't understand it. There's just not data there that can help me understand why they would do that. The, the risk reward analysis suggests that you would you would certainly not mandate vaccine and you probably would choose not to vaccinate in populations where everybody's been exposed to this virus. Everyone has antibodies. We know it's essentially a, extremely mild in children and really in adults as well. Why push the vaccine where are there there are any questions still lingering behind? It, that's where conspiracy theories start to fill in the gaps, I'm afraid. And so until we understand what the reasoning is that they're pushing this, it's very hard to understand. Uh, I, I just don't get it. I just don't it's, get it. Uh, so. You know, it, it has been a policy of vaccine Uber Alice uh, since the onset of the pandemic. It was first safety Uber Alice, then vaccine Uber Alice. And at very minimum, we're seeing that bureaucracies cannot change direction. And it may and all Dr. be just Fauci's that. been wrong about all of it. Dr. Fauci was wrong on virtually all of this. He was wrong about natural immunity, not providing the same kind of never mind better uh, immunity than vaccine immunity. He, he was wrong about saying that the lab leak theory was a conspiracy theory and fringy. That's what he said. I actually pulled the, the quotes. Fauci called it a conspiracy th- theory, said, quote, to Newt Gingrich, this is from February 9th, 2020. We know, we know these things come from an animal reservoir. He was asked, could it come from a lab? Quote, I've heard these conspiracy theories and like all conspiracy theories, they're just 
conspiracy theories. These right. guys misled us time after time. You've got journalists like Chris Saliza. I just just for one, I pulled one of CNN. He had a headline. Anthony Fauci just crushed Donald Trump's theory on the origins of the coronavirus from May of 2020. What was Donald Trump's theory? That it came from a lab. Oh, slam, Fauci, slam, Trump. Right. This is pre-election. They wanted they they wanted to get him. They saw the opportunity. They were dishonest and people died. People died. Origins. That's a different matter. But lies about the effectiveness of the vaccine, all these lies about the masks absolutely could have led to deaths because people thought they were protected when they were not. They might have taken other precautions. There'd be no accountability for Fauci, for Collins. I really look forward to these House Republicans calling all of these liars before them and being forced. Even better would be to see Rand Paul make an appearance over in the other body and ask Fauci whether he'd like to have back some of those statements now, right? Some of the many mistruths he offered to us. All right, stand by. Quick break. Much, much more with Adam and Dr. Drew right after this. One other word on the media. So Chuck Todd agreed with his Republican guest that we should have congressional hearings into lab leak and a possible cover up by the Chinese of what actually happened here. You got almost seven million people dead. So it'd be nice to know the actual origin. Um, They're not going to cooperate, obviously, but we can reach some universal conclusions if people would just be sane and honest. And so you have him. You got Margaret Brennan over on CBS. You got a couple of journalists now like willing to be open minded about this. So that's some progress. Um, And then you've got MSNBC and Mehdi Hassan, who can always be counted on for the stupidest take available uh, in any given day. Here's him responding to Nate Silver. No, no far righty Nate Silver, uh, who's basically retweeting the Wall Street Journal report on all of this on the lab leak saying, my God, you know, this is something we need to pay attention to. And Mehdi Hassan responds, the simple reason why so many people were not keen to discuss the lab leak theory is because it was originally conflated by the right with uh, the Chinese bioweapon conspiracies and continues to be conflated by the right with anti-Fauci conspiracies. So, Adam, there you go. It's, it's, it's not the fault of the public who listened to MSNBC. It's the fault of the right who conflated the lab leak theory with anti-Fauci conspiracies. So people like Medi decided they didn't need to investigate further. Well, I mean, it must be nice. Everybody who disagrees with you has a conspiracy theory. So if you have questions about vaccines, that's a conspiracy theory. Or if you want to know where the virus emanated from, maybe a lab. You're con- so what they do, it's really kind of brilliant, is uh, just imagine if you did this in your personal life, if every argument you got into with your husband or your wife or your child, you just labeled whatever their argument was a conspiracy theory. And then when you had to talk about it, you would say, oh, it's like my husband with the conspiracy theory that uh, I ate all the chocolate cake. Well, it's so convenient that they just label everything with conspiracy theory. Of course, you're going to win all those arguments. That's what this that's what the whole thing was. I mean, we're trying to figure out where a virus came from. That's it. 
No more, no less. Did it come from a lab? Did it come from a wet market? And then you label everybody who thinks it came from the lab as a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, they're all nutcases. That they, call them, they call themselves journalists. That's what a journalist would do. They didn't investigate any of this stuff. That, that's my whole thing. What I've been yelling about this whole time is if somebody said to me, whether it was CNN or my neighbor, I don't know where the virus came from. We don't have any information on that. How would I, how, how would I render a decision on that? I don't know about hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. I, we don't have any data on that. I don't know if masks work or not. If they'd just been agnostic about it, then at least I'd believe them. The fact is, is they knew something that was unknowable, and that is not what journalists do. You know, there's one benefit to the media being so distrustworthy, and that is, Dr. Drew, I remember early on in the pandemic, you were one of the voices that had a different opinion and you were getting a bunch of shit for it. But I remember that and I'd been your fan on some of these other fronts that we've been talking about for years. But, you know, I never knew that you would be so bold on like a major medical issue. Right. And I was like, I would like to listen to him. I would like to hear this alternate viewpoint and and then maybe I can make up my own mind about who I trust and what I believe. Right. And honestly, the same is true of RFK Jr. He was he's a nutcase. What do you can't listen to that guy? I read his book. I had him on the show for myself for many, many hours. Not that I agree with him on everything, but he made a lot of really good points, especially about big pharma. And I, I figured it out for myself. And the one good side, the one upside of all this is it's increased trust in certain people. You know, like Tom Cotton was out there very early. Mike Pompeo was too saying, this is a lab leak. That's what this is. And they were shamed. Conspir- there are certain people that, who should bring the receipts and say, not for credit, but just for trust. I was right. And, you know, I asked questions in a way that was helpful. And and the others who were wrong are to be blamed if they were closed minded to other questions and other points of view. Right. That's that's what really yeah. what is really pernicious. I want to tell the yeah. audience one other thing. If you want to go back, it's episode 241 it's from January 20, January 14th of 2022, episode 241 from that talking points memo that gets in very specific on the back and forth between Fauci, Collins, and these top virologists on what I believe was an obvious attempt to stifle any comment um, other than natural origin. It's it's really disturbing, and it lays it out in great detail, and it stands up word for word even today. Last word on that, Drew. Yeah, and, and any uh, really concerted opinion from... Uh, academics who were highly uh, uh, lauded and published uh, had to be crushed as well. And to me, what I was reacting to back then was the excess, that I could just see the excess. It, it, you know, I could see the hysteria. And I knew that the hysteria and the excess that was getting whipped up would only harm people. And I, my mental health hat was on through a lot of that. I was worried particularly what would happen to the mental health of individuals as well at the time, which was given no concern whatsoever. And now we are in the middle of a pandemic of despair, anxiety, depression, and drug overdose, predictably created from these extraordinary excesses. And the excesses themselves to me were so confusing. Why? Why were you doing these things? Well, now we know they were persuaded by of all things, Chinese Communist Party scientists. Mm. It's just mm. an uncanny story.
My God. Well, speaking of conspiracy theorists, it's a word all over the press today about Woody Harrelson, who hosted SNL. And he's, I guess he was inducted into the five-timer Hall of Fame. Not many people have hosted SNL five times, but he became one of them. And he used his monologue to take a shot at some of the COVID overreach. And to me, obviously, Big Pharma. Here's a bit of what he said that's getting him lambasted today. Anyway, I went walking in the greatest part of this city, Central Park, leaned against a tree and started to read the craziest script. Okay, full disclosure, I smoked a joint first. (laughs) The reason I... (laughs) But back to the tree in Central Park in that script. Put yourselves in my place. Lay the curve of your neck against the roots of the tree. What, What kind of tree was it? I mean, what kind of trees they have in Central Park? Oh, yeah, it was a palm tree. So lay, lay your head on the palm, fire up a hooter from Jeremy, and start reading. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea of being forced to do drugs? I do that voluntarily all day long. Mm-hmm. So listen, here's a sample of the media coverage. Daily Beast. Uh, Harrelson spews anti-vax conspiracies and rambling SNL monologue. Uh, rambled incoherently for several minutes, not so coded anti-COVID vaccine message. Um, Huffington Post, Harrelson rambles about weed, anti-vax conspiracy, variety, uh, makes COVID conspiracy jokes. Rolling Stone, bizarre anti-vax tangent, the independent, baseless anti-vax conspiracy rant. Here we go. He's not saying Big Pharma sat down and said, let's unleash the COVID virus, the, the coronavirus on everybody. He's saying we, we got to this place where we're all being forced to self-medicate in a way that lines the pockets of these big pharmas, pharmacy, you know, or pharma companies. Uh, and we're complying. We're just going along with it. It didn't seem to be something we ever would do. True. He didn't spew anything. He made a joke about conspiracy theory. I thought it was brilliant. I don't agree with it. I, I, it's an interesting theory. May may end up end up being true one day. Again, I'm agnostic, but it was a is a good joke. Adam, do you agree it was a good joke? Well, it was a good joke in that it provoked thought and discussion. You know, I don't know if it was a good joke in terms of setup punchline. But it was a good joke in that we're all discussing it now, which is what good jokes are supposed to do and why it's bad to try to silence comedians. Um, it's got us all kind of interested in it. What, 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 what was it a metaphor for? And, and a, it sparked a discussion and a debate, which is what ultimately what you know, satire is supposed to do. And Adam, you know, you said, what, what are journalists supposed to do? I, comedians for me through this pandemic have gone in that same category. It's like, journal, what, what are, are you a journalist? You're not asking questions. Same thing with comedians. You're, you're not poking fun at the important events of the day. Well, I've said many times, uh, you know, comedians traditionally push back on the man. 
And I tried to explain to all my comedian friends in Los Angeles, Donald Trump is not the man. Gavin Newsom is the man. Mm -hmm. Gavin Newsom's the one who shut the playgrounds, who shut the beaches, who ruined the small businesses, who shut the schools. He's the man. Why aren't you saying something about your governor who's locking kids in their homes and welding pipes over basketball hoops? Remember, we took metal pipes and welded them over outdoor basketball hoops. The best thing you could have done during COVID is go out in the sunshine and get some exercise. That's the man. Where? Why are the comedians pushing back against him? So yes, it was it was sad and kind of pathetic and and really just disappointing to see the comedian sort of silent. Yeah, yeah. But but also but also also big pharma. I mean, they're the man. Yes. When you want to punch somebody, you want to punch up. Who's got more money and more power right now in America than Pfizer? I'll wait. Right. Why wouldn't he feel comfortable? Why shouldn't he feel comfortable taking shots at them? I'll tell you, we had Scott Gottlieb on this show on the board of Pfizer. And I asked him about the fact that they're pushing and mandating these vaccines when natural immunity works. Natural immunity can protect somebody. And he wouldn't admit the point. You know, it was, uh, it was and I asked him about a Pfizer study that had just come come out that showed uh, immunity from vaccines falls off precipitously after it was like two or three months. Correct. Wouldn't cede the point. So they do have accountability here. They are absolutely fair game. And Adam, it's just here we go again. Woody Harrelson taking shots at them. He's not saying they sat down and planned COVID. He's saying, <laughs> why do we have to keep getting these mandatory shots in our arms when we know this is bullshit? We can't go out and be our free selves in every area the way we used to. There's a fair question and the vaccine companies are fair game. Well, I mean, think about the position that the legacy media was put into. Their position was, first, we have to fiercely defend China, and then we have to fiercely defend Big Pharma. And that's exactly what they did. The notion that these people who never stopped patting themselves on the back for blowing the lid off of Watergate or any other famous news story are now doing the bidding of China and big pharma. And and to the point where, I I mean, China and big pharma had to just sit back and laugh. Like (laughs) these idiots are doing all our legwork for us. Great. Great. You're so, so right. That episode with Gottlieb is also worth your time. It's number 175. And he came on and spun and spun and spun. And I pressed him. And that's that's the episode that ended with him actually saying to my team, you know, I I am an authority. I'm a respected authority. Like as if he was indignant that I challenged him. Well, a simple Google search would have told you, sir, that that's the kind of interview you're going to get if you come on and spew lies to our audience. Uh, Okay, stand by. We're coming right back. And we're going to pick up the matter of Scott Adams and what he said that got him canceled. Uh, they stay with us, Adam and Dr. Drew. And remember, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. And the full video show on clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. You should go check it out. The YouTube channel is amazing. If you prefer audio, go ahead and download us. Follow us on any platform where you get your podcast for free. And you can get our full archives with now five. 100 shows. Today's 500.
1-800-273-8501. Thank you for making it possible. The University of Austin is a new university dedicated to the fearless pursuit of truth. At UATX, a culture of free, open inquiry and civil discourse helps us break through barriers instead of walking on eggshells. Students will feel at home in our downtown Austin campus. With guidance from world-class professors, they'll grapple with history's most important ideas. They'll learn through dialogue, without fear of censorship, while forming friendships that last a lifetime. They'll have unparalleled access to mentors in business, science, politics, and the arts, and develop careers alongside Austin's leading entrepreneurs, builders, and founders. What's more, all students in the founding class will receive full tuition scholarships for all four years. Admissions are rolling for fall 2024. Apply to the University of Austin now at uaustin.org. Scott Adams uh, stepped in it and how over the past couple of days. One has to believe this was intentional. The cancellation that ensued was entirely predictable. Um, and he's not backing down one bit. So I, I think the whole thing was by design. I think he genuinely feels the way he says he feels. I take him at his word. And it was shocking. The rant he went on was shocking. But I also believe it was predictable, given what's been going on in our media over the past few years. I mean, we've talked many times about how the constant focus on race race essentialism, dividing us all by skin color, creating a hierarchy of the races, the open bashing of white people by the media all the time, like it's just this fair group to just completely malign, is going to create some serious race problems. And I believe in some people it's going to bring out sentiments like what Scott is clearly feeling. All right. It's not to say I agree with his comments, far from it. We'll get into that. But I, I can see how he got there. Because he didn't sound like this back in 2015 when he was first talking, you know, publicly in a political way. Um, so here is what he said in part. He's now been canceled by virtually everybody. For those who don't know, he's the uh, cartoonist, the creator of Dilbert, a very, very popular cartoon. Here he is. You know, normally you see a poll, you just look at it, you go, ah, whatever. But as of today, I'm going to re-identify as white because I don't want to be a member of a hate group. If, if you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. The best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the fuck away. I'm going to back off from being helpful to black America because it doesn't seem like it pays off. Like I've been doing it all my life and I've been, the only outcome is I, be, I get called a racist. The, the, it's over. Don't, don't even think it's worth trying. And it feels good not to be in a racist uh, hate group anymore. So I'm now independent, not a member of any group. I do not align with any group, not the white supremacists and not the black um, racists. Hmm. Hmm. Referring to a Rasmussen poll that asked, uh, do you agree or disagree with this statement? It's okay to be white. Uh, overall, uh, in polling black Americans, 53% of black Amer Americans agreed it's okay to be white. 26% disagreed that it's okay to be white. 21% said, we're not sure. 
if it's okay to be white. That's what he's saying. He says, add that 26 and 21 together. That's 47% of black respondents who are not willing to say it is okay to be white. And being somewhat facetious there saying he used to, he started identifying as black a while ago so I can be on the winning team for a while, he said, uh, just to be on the team that I was helping. But then you heard him say, as of today, I'm going to re-identify as white. I don't want to be a member of a hate group. I accidentally joined a hate group um, and goes on from there. Oh, the whole thing is, it's sad to me. Adam, what do you make of this? Well, uh, you know, the whole sort of race hustle that has been ramped up in this country over the last few years is so destructive. It's insane. And obviously it hurts the black community, the group that they always report to want to be helping. It, it, it does nothing. If, the, if, it, if it did, I think we could see some evidence of it. Um, I always said that after Obama got elected for a second term, all the race hustlers had to up their game. And that's essentially what happened. I mean, the three of us have been around long enough to remember the 90s, the early 2000s. Everything wasn't about race. It wasn't even mentioned very often. It was way downstream of uh, all the subjects we were talking about politically. Now it's front and center. And I believe that's the mainstream media and that's all the Al Sharptons and Jesse Jacksons and it's all the race hustlers pushing it out there. And the worst is Biden because Biden, his whole campaign promise was reuniting the country and nobody hustles the race more than Biden, which is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a, a he, it's a fiduciary duty that he's dropped as the president of the United States. It's insidious and it's destructive. And then what it leads to is how long are you going to sit around as a white person who pays their taxes, likes the black community, prays for the black community and tries to do what they can do? How long are you going to sit around being called racist before this comes out in some form that we just got? from from scott so it, it, it's inevitable that this is going to happen given given these conditions mm-hmm. oh gosh i he's right drew he's right well, there's, there's how, two long, how long can you have like white people demonized over and over and over on national cable stations on show after show after show before somebody starts to feel like defensive of whiteness or like, Hey, I'm picking up what you're putting down. You can't stand me. Yeah. Uh, white people, this is what a lot of, uh, people of black and brown populations don't know. White people feel bad. They feel really bad about the history. They feel bad about the things that are being brought up. It's it's not like people are feeling reticent or, or unwilling to acknowledge these things, but, but there's two things with Scott. Um, one is, what Adam was just talking about, and and really, it's the it's not the politicians, it's the media that ramped this up. And full disclosure, I you know I had my talk show on HLN nightly show uh, back in the day 
you know, you're searching. We, and we were getting very strict, stringent mandates to get ratings. Get That's all they worried about over at CNN HLN. There was not any instruction about what to report on. It was just get eyeballs. <clears throat> and we, full disclosure and, and mea culpa, when Trayvon Martin happened, that story caught on. So we pursued it. And I believe that since then, those sorts of stories have been proved to be the business model of news media. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, they have not concerned themselves with what the impact would be on African-Americans in America. They just, they, they just found that they could get eyeballs and they went after it. Scott's behavior, and by the way, you know, that, that took a, that hit really a peak with Jesse Smollett. I mean, it, oh, my God, let's run after that story. And I was on a, a news talk show that day. And I said, hey, hey, come on, let's 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 reserve. Let's wait. This seems too on the nose to me. Let's let's see what's going on. Immediately, I was crushed for daring to say, let's just see what's going on here before we run to a conclusion. But what Scott is up to, I don't know. But he's always up to something. He's a hypnotist and he's a persuasion expert. And he has been playing with. The idea of how to create hoaxes, which is really out of context commentary that the press goes crazy about, which clearly he's doing something with that here and how to get canceled. He was playing with that for a few months. So he's up to something here. It. I, I, it's sad that it's this topic, but but I know that he's up to something. Well, I mean, that so that leads us to point two, which is I mean, yeah, so it's predictable is point one. And but point two is, my God, the conclusion, right? It's like, OK. So because of this one poll in which 26% of blacks surveyed disagree that it's okay to be white, 21% are not sure. The takeaway is, um, again, quoting from, from what he said, because he went on a long, long diatribe about it. Um, he says, now I'm not saying start a war or do anything bad, nothing like that. I'm just saying, get away. He says, get away. Uh, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the fuck away. Um, now, I hear that and I think, OK, now it's true. I don't want to be next to a Tiffany Cross, you know, uh, a Joy Reid. These people are spewing white hate all the time. But what what black people are you talking about, Scott? Right. Should I stay away from Coleman Hughes? Should I stay away from Camille Foster? Right. Should I stay away from Chloe Valdery? Like I should just write off all black people because of these 26% who disagree and this 21% who says they're not sure. That's absurd. And Scott Adams knows that. He's very smart. He, he knows that's absurd. And he even points out, I hate to tell you folks, but I actually do know that um, people have different thoughts, that black people have different thoughts about different items. So like he, he points out that he knows that. And yet his takeaway is get the F away from black people and this, I mean, so this winds up being racist because when you cast aspersions on an entire group based on the opinions of a small minority, right? And it is a small minority. I don't know what those 21% are saying when they're not sure. That phrase, it's okay to be white, just FYI, has been labeled by the Anti-Defamation League, and I realize they have an agenda, as a hate slogan. So just a, a, a stigma has been attached to that. That may have confused the 21. Like, I, what is what are they trying to test me on? Anyway, I'm giving folks the benefit of the doubt. But like the takeaway that like the entire race is to blame for the bad behavior or controversial opinions of a, of a small number, that's racist, right? Like you can't become the thing that they say you are that you're not. Yes. 
So simply that's I so. And I, I, I think I, again, I don't want to be in position of defending any of this, but, but that that is going to be his point: is that by lumping people into groups and to characterizing everybody under the the rubric of a of a single heading is exactly the problem. And Adam, you made the point recently. I thought it was kind of interesting that we've gone from a concerns about racist society to a racialized society. Do you remember that conversation we had? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, the analogy that I give in the, the dangers of this is uh, a sports analogy. When we become a kind of racialized society, which is, it's if you are a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you root for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's how it starts off. But at some point, you have to hate the Baltimore Ravens because they are your team's foe. So when you racialize a society, at some point, you don't just root for one team, you then root against another team. And that's what we see, you know, on college campuses, you know, UCLA or Harvard or whatever. Uh, At some point, you're rooting for one team, but the other team, meaning Asian students, you got to do something with them because the numbers are too high in terms of their populace on those campuses. And this is really the phase that we're entering into. Um, when I was a kid in the seventies, it was black is beautiful. Great. I agree. I'm down with, with all of it. Now we're getting into a point where we're pitting groups against each other. And that's the real dangerous kind of inflection point we're in now as a society. So he, one of the other things he says, forgive me, these are awkward topics, but they're it's worth discussing because it's now in the news. He says, um, this. First of all, he says, I went to a neighborhood where I have a very low population because unfortunately there's a high correlation between density um, and problems in these neighborhoods. And then he attributes that sentiment to Don Lemon and he runs a, he's referring to a clip that was all over the news last week where Don Lemon was talking about how he lived in Harlem and, you know, people don't throw away the trash. And he was like advising black residents of Harlem, pick up your trash. I believe that's what his reference is to. Um, but he's saying, so I got out of Dodge, basically. I moved to a neighborhood that has a very low population of black people, and I, I recommend you do the same, he says. And then he says, I'm also really sick of seeing video after video of black Americans beating up non-black citizens. I realize it's anecdotal and it doesn't give a, a full picture of what's happening. But every damn day I look on social media and there's some black person beating the shit out of some white person. I'm kind of over it. Can I tell you something? I'm in news. I'm very active on Twitter. I see those videos all the time too. Almost never retweet those. I mean, it would take something extraordinary uh, news value wise for me to re- retweet those because I, I'm, a, I'm worried those kinds of videos are going to create exactly this kind of feeling in somebody. And the reason people are tweeting them is not, I believe, because they're racist and they're trying to gin up racism against blacks. It's a response to putting the George Floyd video on loop. It's the response to saying all cops are bastards. This is what they do. They have a culture of violence. White supremacists are running the country and they have a culture of violence. And so people say, you know what? Look, 
it's not just whites who commit violence. And they start tweeting things like this. Like, if you want to really look at the stats, you're not going to like it. That's what Glenn Lowry um, has been saying, you know, very famous and respected uh, professor of economics at Brown now used to be at Harvard. Um, so it's very dicey territory to get into the tit for tat on who commits crime and what. But, but, but like, I could see this coming from a mile away. It's why it's dangerous for either side of this debate. The ones who want to re-racialize America, the ones who don't to to jump on board this game of like, here's your people doing bad things. Well, here's your people doing bad things like my God, everyone. It's humans. Humans do bad things and we don't need to racialize everything. But we do. When I talk to my friends that uh, respond to that, uh, you know, the notions that the feeling that that poll sort of uh, suggested, you, you ha- we have to get into the root cause discussion about all these feelings. And most of my people that I associate with will point at the some of the original provisions in the, pro- in the Constitution. And we'll, they'll tell this again, I have no business talking about this, but this is what I'm being told. Uh, and, and I'm sem- sympathetic to it, which is that a bunch of white men decided to call another group part human and there have that is, that is sort of an unforgivable sin until we figure out what to do with that and then of course all the trauma you that was perpetrated was, yeah say, nobody's proud of that women were nothing we got we had nothing we had less right like we weren't even right. mentioned at all we got the right to vote later you know at least black men got the right to vote before we did but it's like i could i could cry in my soup about that every day what they'll say to me is, well, you were power adjacent. Women were power adjacent. Well, men were power adjacent, but men men are way more power adjacent to power to, to powerful men than women are. Like, like we could do this game all day long. Yeah, I I agree. And it's futile and it's pointless. And if it was some sort of straight line to healing or correction or some, there was some measurable data that said, no, this is a really effective way to solve a current problem, then I would be all on board with it. It doesn't seem to be that way. And I think the, the problem is, is one side says, uh, recognize the past, and then accuses the other side of trying to whitewash the past. I don't see America wanting to deny slavery or Jim Crow. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see that in any numbers. What what I see is most Americans saying it's 2023. There's no better place for a person of color to live. But this country, let's get on with it. Let's mm-hmm. roll up our sleeves. Let's figure out what the problems are. And let's face them directly. And all the discussions about sitting down at the table and having an honest dialogue, most people don't want an honest dialogue about any of this stuff, because that would involve a bunch of information that didn't fit their narrative. Yeah, that's right. And and by the way, so I don't give the Democrats a pass, Drew. I, I do think, not all Democrats, but m- too many Democrats and, and wokesters on the left have really caused this problem, uh, politicians and otherwise. They have they have certainly added to it. But the media is, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know, I'd have to think about the proportionality, but they bear a huge share of the blame. And that leads me to my next point, which is Elon Musk decided to weigh in on this. And in an interesting way, he tweets out, the media is racist. 
For a very long time, U.S. media was racist against non-white people. Now they're racist against whites and Asians. Same thing happened with elite colleges and high schools in America. Maybe they can try not being racist. And Scott Adams tweeted out, who stoked racial division for the past five years? Was that me? Was it Musk? Right. So the, he's they're, they're both tapping into kind of what we led with, which is why does the media get to press all these racial buttons? I mean, in the most provocative, upsetting, dangerous ways. And then when you have somebody kind of lose it, you know, like I'm out, um, say canceled, F him, demon. Right. Instead of saying, like, just stop for a moment to say, like, is there something I've done that I could have done differently to have prevented this result? Do I have any hand in creating this kind of animosity? Me, the person who puts these videos on loop, you know, me, Joy Reid, me, Tiffany Cross, me, Ellie Mistal. And this, Adam, I wanted to actually ask you about this, leads me to Ellie Mistel. Okay. Now, Ellie Mistel writes, I believe, for The Nation, and he appears on MSNBC all the time on Joy Reid's show and other programs. And Ellie Mistel hates white people and has made this clear over and over and over, or at least his rhetoric suggests that he does. So I'll give you just a couple of examples. 2021, the miseducation of white children. And he goes on, he's, he's angry that there's a lack of education on things like the Tulsa race riot. He says, it is always important to them, I guess the establishment, the white establishment people, that white children are kept ignorant about how, about the details of how white people came to enjoy such power and wealth in a land they ain't even from. Keeping white kids dumb is as American as apple pie. No problem. He can say that. Okay, I'll go on. Um, he wrote an article in 2021 called, I am not ready to re-enter white society. As a black man, as the pandemic wanes and I have to leave the safety of my whiteness-free castle, I know that racism is going to come roaring back into my daily life, right? Because he's going to have to be around the whites again. Over the past year, I have, of course, still had to interact with white people on Zoom or television, etc. But white people aren't in my face. They're not in my face all the time. I can more or less only deal with whiteness when I want to. White people haven't improved. I've just been able to limit my exposure to them. How is that any different as a material matter than what Scott Adams just said? Here is a black man intentionally limiting his exposure to white people who he doesn't want in his face all the time. He doesn't have to deal with their whiteness except for when he wants to. He doesn't find being around white people safe um, and he's not ready to re-enter white society, the same white society that keeps white kids dumb and doing so is as American as apple pie. Every night, MSNBC, no problem. Scott Adams, his career is done. He's canceled by everyone. And the double standard, Adam, speaks volumes. Exactly. His, his statement, you're 100% correct. It's exactly the same Scott Adams. It's the carbon copy, pardon the pun, of what Scott Adams just said. And, of course, those are the rules for society. And uh, everyone knows it, you know, and as far as the media goes, you know, there's a, a very simple um, test you can do. You know, our friend, your friend, 
uh, attorney Mark Yaragos uh, represents a case out of, I think it's Mesa, Arizona. It's the worst police shooting ever. It is, uh, it is a white citizen being literally executed by the police department, uh, body cam footage and everything. It's out there. I don't recommend that people watch it because it is insanely disturbing. But it is the greatest example of police brutality that that exists that you can find on videotape. Um, when I talk to my progressive friends, they have never heard of it. They've never seen it. They don't know what I'm talking about. Now, of course, they all know um, any of any any Rodney King and, and, and so on and so forth that goes through of a black citizen being brutalized by the police. So this is a narrative that's being pushed forward by make legacy media. If they had an interest in the subject of police brutality and it was just universal, then this would lead the news on MSNBC and CNN. They would be all over this. Uh, but it's only when a black citizen is brutalized, then it makes the populace at large believe that the, the black community is the only community brutalized by the police. Statistics don't bode that out, of course. And then, of course, it makes people angry because, because how else would you feel if you thought this, this atrocity was happening only to one sector of our community? So we get right back to legacy media, again, promoting this irresponsibly and, and causing a ton of harm. Mm -hmm. There is this video that Scott Adams tweeted out. I confess I had not seen it when it came out in November of 2020 um, from something called Cut, which is to be distinguished from The Cut, which is an offshoot of New York Magazine. I did not know what Cut was, so we looked into it. It bills itself as a media news company on Facebook based in Seattle, Washington. Um, they joined YouTube in 2014. They have 447,000 followers on Instagram. They've had 5 million views on YouTube. Um, they have 11.5 million followers on YouTube. 11.5 million. And Scott tweets out this video from 2020, post-George Floyd, I'm assuming, and the question in it was, what are white people superior at? And here is some of that. What are white people superior at? <laughs> exactly what white people superior at. They're real good at violence. Violence. Genocide. It's like stealing people's lives just because they feel like it. If you are white and you know this is happening and you say nothing, then you're a killer too. What exactly are white people superior at? Insecurity. Pretending. Fear. Being fearful of nothing. Being ignorant. Blame. Letting their egos control their every move. Superior at being dicks. What exactly are white people superior at? Oppression. Gaslighting. Lack of empathy. Intellectualizing oppression. Did I say oppression? What exactly are white people superior at? Taking what's not there. Taking shit. Taking our ideas. Copycatting. Gentrification. Appropriating things that do not belong to them. Taking over other people's cultures and making you believe that they invented it. Maybe they're thinking of it as repurposing. It's like recycle and repurpose. As my grandma was saying, then white folk, they'll take it. 
If you don't copyright it. They are very good at destruction of land, destruction of people, destruction of humanness. Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're conservative, like white people are really good at upholding white supremacy. How about claiming that, you know, they are actually a whole separate race when actually white DNA comes from the black female? So what exactly are white people superior? Honey, lying, stealing and cheating. Manipulation. Withholding information. Lying. Telling lies. Oh, great. Okay. Guess what? Not demonetized, didn't become a national story, despite the fact that they have more subscribers to this YouTube channel than any cable program in America uh, has on any given night in their ratings and so on. So this apparently doesn't get you banned from Instagram or YouTube. In fact, apparently they're very successful in this messaging. No problem. Um, And it's not just in case you thought cut. It's not just cut and it's YouTube audience. Very small sampling of some of what you see on MSNBC on any given night. You're going to hear Joy Reid and Ellie Mistel, who we just mentioned. Listen. In America, there's a thing about both white vigilantism and white tears, particularly male white tears. Really white tears in general. This is literally what conservative white folks do when they don't get their way. They turn violent. And what I know is what white people are willing to do to defend white supremacy. White tears. She's very upset, guys. Whenever there's Brett Kavanaugh, when he cried, she went off on him. His white tears, they're fake. Kyle Rittenhouse, his white tears, fake. By a white supremacist trying to protect his whiteness and the regime of white. This this goes on every night on MSNBC. No one no one cares. No, it's fine. Why? Because she's black? Because Ellie Mistel is black? Bullshit. That this is pernicious and it's dangerous and it's having a real world effect that some executive over at MSNBC should stand up against. I believe that's why Tiffany Cross ultimately got the boot. She was a bridge too far, even for them. But these two are on the air every other night. So forgive me when I don't really believe your indignation at Scott Adams. I completely agree. It's a perfect example of the narrative being pushed by the mainstream. And it's not so different than COVID, which is you're not looking into the science, you're not looking into the statistics, you're not crunching the numbers, you're forcing a narrative out there, you're scaring people, and you're hurting people. Yeah. I, I really hope Scott well, we, is doing an experiment, Drew. I really do. He, I hope- he is. There's no doubt in my mind. He's always playing chess. But this whole thing, he's bringing things forward. We're having these conversations about things that are make me very sad. And if people out there are feeling this way, we have to figure out a way of getting at that and, and processing it. I mean, my again, all, all I know is my mental health experience. And this is not okay that people are feeling this way. And no, And by the way, <clears throat> some of it's real and some of it isn't, but all of it needs to be addressed very carefully. And the more you pull away from it, the worse it's going to get. And you have to think about, you know, people who you, you should, don't spend too much time thinking about Joy Reid. She doesn't, she doesn't speak for all black people. Neither does Ellie Mustel. Think about Glenn Lowry. Think about John McWhorter. Think about all these great black voices, Larry Elder. You know, if, like we have to be reminded in the face of lunacy on the left and the right, there are people who are Democrats, Republicans, black, white, Asian, Jewish, Christian, what have you, who are amazing and douchebags. Like that's life. Back to the earlier comment. That's humanity. Um, and the more generous we can be toward the rest of humanity, the better. Like the better our our life is going to be and our country is going to be. It's hard at times, right? Because you you bump into so much 
lack of generosity, but you can do it. You can do it. There's a way of doing it, even when you're in news and cynical bastards like the three of us. All right. <laughs> We're going to have more with Adam and Dr. Drew right after this. We will get to Sally Field. The University of Austin is a new university dedicated to the fearless pursuit of truth. At UATX, a culture of free, open inquiry and civil discourse helps us break through barriers instead of walking on eggshells. Students will feel at home in our downtown Austin campus. With guidance from world-class professors, they'll grapple with history's most important ideas. They'll learn through dialogue, without fear of censorship, while forming friendships that last a lifetime. They'll have unparalleled access to mentors in business, science, politics, and the arts, and develop careers alongside Austin's leading entrepreneurs, builders, and founders. What's more, all students in the founding class will receive full tuition scholarships for all four years. Admissions are rolling for fall 2024. Apply to the University of Austin now at uaustin.org. Sally Field was honored at the SAG Awards last night with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Good for her. People generally like Sally Field, Steel Magnolias, Gidget, if you're older, <laughs> and a bunch of other, you know, Norma Ray, right, back in the day with the unions and whatever. She's cute. She's perky and she's kind of sweet and fun and she's a great actress. Well, <laughs> she's very sorry about one thing, and that appears to be the fact that she's white. Listen to this. I was a little white girl with a pug nose born in Pasadena, California. And when I look around this room tonight, I know my fight, as hard as it was, was lightweight compared to some of yours. I thank you and I applaud you. Okay. Why is she, <laughs> she's, I guess, sorry that she was raised a little white girl and that she wasn't of a different race with a bigger struggle. Because at Newsflash, white girls in America don't have any troubles that are worth remembering when you're in front of a group that has a lot of people of color. It's such baloney, Dr. Drew. I mean, it's such pathetic, obvious virtue signaling. Right. It's not that it's baloney. It's that it's virtue signaling. And and uh, it's interesting to me that the struggle of women is being completely undermined by so many of these other uh, sort of topics of du jour. Uh, and and I, I, I feel it in sort of what you were saying today is that you have a lot of outrage as a white woman. And, and my wife used to always say that no one's lower on the totem pole than a white female. And she said that for years and years. And, and I think this is being proven to be correct. It's ridiculous. I mean, it, it Sally Field could get up there and say, you know what? I came up in the industry where the casting couch was alive and well. That's why mm -hmm. we produced people like Harvey Weinstein and too many women from Marilyn Monroe forward have had to be subjected to that nonsense in order to get on the big screen. So I'm grateful for the opportunities that I created for myself and I nailed them. I nailed them. I did really well and I feel good about it. She could say something like that. That would be true to her personal. No. She's basically got to be like, I'm with the little white girl from Pasadena and I basically suffered nothing like you people did here in this room. How does she know? How did, it's so it's so diminishing too to like people of color who are in the room. Like, does she know that they all? She just assumes they're all oppressed. You know, like, and what are the people of color? Are they Indian? Are they black? Are they Asian? What are they? Why should she assume that they've all had it so bad, Adam? You know, it's like I think about my my son's little schoolmates. You know, back at his old school and his current school. These kids are from the 
best and brightest families in the nation, all different colors, all different backgrounds, ethnicities, and the most privileged you can find most of them. Right. So like, I'm sure they wouldn't take kindly to her looking at them being like, I haven't had it as hard as you poor little thing. Well, obviously it's insanely condescending. Uh, it also makes me think about, remember when Biden was giving that speech a couple of months ago and he was talking about airlines charging extra for leg room or hidden costs or some, some sort of nonsense. I don't even know why he was talking about it. But he always says this disproportionately affects the poor and people of color. Like poor people, yeah, they got to pay an extra 40 bucks for an extra six inches of knee, knee room. Why are you breaking off poor people and then saying and people of color into two separate groups? It seems uh, insane right. that he constantly does that. So you're saying that if there's an affluent, you know, Jay-Z wanted to fly on American Airlines, it would disproportionately affect him to pay the extra $41? <laughs> right. Look, it's insane. I don't understand why more people don't raise their hand and go, you know what you sound like when you say this kind of stuff. Now, as far as Hollywood goes, it's a pretty simple equation. Um, if you said to yourself, well, what would make you unemployable in Hollywood? Well, the answer would be put on a MAGA hat and start talking about uh, the virus leaking from a lab and start talking crap about Fauci. All right. <laughs> that would make you unemployable. Literally be able to work in Hollywood. All right. So actors need employment. And as we've seen over the last few years, we can cancel anybody and they'll never come back. So if wearing a MAGA hat and talking about Fauci would make you unemployable, well, what would make you more employable? Because you're not just, just like my reference with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens, it's not enough just to do one thing. You're going to have to start doing the other thing. So giving speeches about systemic racism makes you more employable. And that's why it could be Ukraine. It could be systemic racism. It could, could be COVID. It could be anything under the sun. That's what these people are doing. They're trying to make themselves more employable in a town where jobs are really hard to come by. You know, and also, Adam, Adam, I've always yeah, pointed yeah. out that it's it, it's not just that they don't seem to be interested in doing anything for people that they're so concerned about, but they want you to know that they care. They care more than anybody. And you can care all day, but if you don't do anything to help people you're concerned about, it, your caring is completely... It, not totally worthless, but it's not worth a damn. Well, it's like maybe you could help by stop the stopping the continuation of dividing us all so much by, you know, in some weird hierarchy where like the, the girls, the little American girls don't have a right to celebrate a moment of achievement as much as somebody of color would because of the horrible way America treats people. Like, could you just shut up? Just fucking say thank you. Honestly, I'm sorry. My mom's listening. She's going to be mad. Um, she said, she, I said, Mom, I tried giving up swearing for Lent last year. She goes, well, maybe you could just give up the F-bomb. Just the F. That's the worst one. OK, Mom, she's listening. I'm going to work on that. But like maybe you could just get up there like my cousin Vinny. Um, it was Joe Pesci it was probably for good for good feathers. 
uh, Goodfellas, and just say, thank you, it's my honor, and sit down. Instead of trying to say something that you think is going to be unifying and the, the weird far lefties who comment on you in the media are going to be like, go girl, which has happened, but really is divisive in its nature. Yeah, well, she's no different than CNN, right? I mean, yeah. she's not interested in the subject. She's interested in the rating. She wants the you go girl. And, and by the way, she's not trying to fix anything or correct anything. She's trying to fit in in a society that's very tight knit, very tight knit and very myopic. I mean, think about Hollywood and its reaction to COVID. Hollywood is disagrees on many, many subjects. But when it came to COVID, they were all in lockstep. They're all on the same page. How is that possible? You know, the, yeah. the Super Bowl came around a few weeks ago. Half of Hollywood was pulling for Philadelphia and the other half was pulling for Kansas City. But why did they all unanimously align on one side of COVID? Is it because that's what they thought? Is it because they all thought mm. locking schools, shutting schools down in California, shutting down beaches? They all thought that was a good idea or they wanted to be employable. Because Adam, that's what they are. Adam had a big dose of this growing up. His mother and grandmother were the early adopters of this kind of uh, philosophy. And Adam, I, it might be time to tell your story about your grandmother and her uh, her caretaker and how she cared about her so much. I do want to hear about Nana Carolla. <laughs> <laughs> she was sort of a half communist who never stopped talking about you know, the man and the money and all this kind of stuff. Now, ironically, it would be funny now if I had to explain to her that her side was the side that was defending Big Pharma and the FBI. She would find <laughs> that very confusing if I pulled her out of the grave and said, no, no, you, you, a lot has changed since you died, Nana. Uh, it's the Democrats who love the FBI, who love big government, and her pro pharma. Um, <laughs> but she had a helper and her name is like Delia. And she was like a poor brown person who was helping uh, my grandmother like later, later in her years. And she, she never stopped talking about like how poor Delia was and how she didn't have a dining room table. And then at some point she said to me, you know, Delia wants a raise from, you know, $12 an hour to $14 an hour. And she's like, I'm not giving it to her. Like, <laughs> screw that. And and it, it was so emblematic because the second the money was coming out of your pocket, mm -hmm. you got real conservative. When it was coming out of someone else's pocket, then it was nothing but complaints about how people need to pay more taxes, do more and pay their fair share. But th these are some of the least generous people on the planet. And I think it's all projection. I, I, mm. I really do. I don't know what Sally Fields has done for the, uh, the brown and black and community of color at large. I, I suspect not much. Self-flagellation is all it takes. You don't actually have to do anything to get your pass. Two comments on it. Harry Styles just had an, the same thing happen to him. He accepted an award. He got up there and said something like, it's so cool. You know, people like me don't often get to do this. And then the Internet, the left wing, you know, sort of wokesters on the Internet descended on him like white privileged male. Screw you. 
And then he got up at another award show and was quick to say, like, oh, I'm aware of my privilege and I'm so grateful and sort of engaged in this hierarchy tiering of the people on the stage and in the audience based on color. And so it's like absurd. And then just this weekend, Brian Cranston, who I had always heard was more Republican leaning um, or more conservative leaning. He sat down with Chris Wallace and said, when I see the MAGA hat or just the MAGA slogan, my comment is, do you accept that this could possibly be construed as a racist remark? Um, And I guess he's suggesting that, you know, wanting to go back, make America great again, necessarily means you want to go to Jim Crow at two point, you know, like a huge, you want to go back to what, pre- uh, Lincoln, like that's absurd. You know, we're talking about a time when we actually were more unified. There was a woman. Um, you'll appreciate this, Dr. Drew. There was a woman, a doctor who actually just wrote an op-ed. I'm seeing if I can find it here in front of me. But she just wrote an op-ed calling out modern medicine, saying what you people are doing to modern medicine with all your weird diversity insistence is hurting medicine. And she said, I am a black woman who came up in a difficult time. But I don't agree with all this crazy DEI stuff you you guys are doing. It's causing more harm than good. Does she want to go back to Jim Crow? Does she want to go to go back to um, slavery? Her name is Marilyn Singleton. Uh, she did a WAPO op-ed regarding California bias training, saying this racial obsession has come rushing back. And she said all this implicit bias training, bias training, which now mandatory for California physicians, is harmful to physicians and patients. Um, and went on to say that this is basically the messaging that we're sending to patients is even worse. Black people are, in effect, being told that white physicians are likely to quite literally damage our health. So that could be what MAGA means, Brian Cranston, getting rid of this weird obsession with race, not going back to the darkest times in our country's history when it was the other way. Yeah, well, it's a terrible you message. Well, that, that was for Drew. And then you go at him. All right. That was, it's a terrible message, obviously, to to patients that, that they have to worry about the, the race of their any whatever the race of the physician is, that we, we have a, a sacred charge regardless of who we are. And that's just yes. And biases come to bear. and We need to pay attention to that. But the, the thing that I, I hope she pointed out was the obsession, not just with the, the racializing of, of everything, but the equity uh, uh, obsession. Equity in medicine is anathema. It's like literally saying that I can take a 17-year-old male and an 85-year-old female, and they have to end up in the same place. It, it, right. it's, it's just insane in biological system. It, it's absolutely contrary to how biological systems work. Yes, equality, quality of access, best we can to, to make it a level playing field, but we are biological systems, and each single one is very different than the other, and to insist that they all end in the same place, given a certain uh, set of illnesses or whatever you might be in question, that, that is a terribly destructive idea. I'll give you this, Adam, to set up the close on a bright note. University of North Carolina has just nixed its diversity training. They had a board meeting uh, last week. They voted to ban diversity, equity and inclusion statements and compelled speech uh, from the admissions process, from the hiring process, the promotion process, the tenure process, saying uh, the university shall neither solicit nor require an employee or an applicant for any academic admission or employment uh, job to affirmatively ascribe to or opine about beliefs, affiliations, ideals, or principles regarding matters of contemporary political debate or social action as a condition to that placement. Um, I think this is huge. This is apparently the push of a group called Color Us United, a nonprofit 
which has been pushing for the same at the medical school at UNC. I remain unclear on whether the medical school has adopted this, but certainly UNC undergrad did. So good for Color Us United. I'm going to learn more about this group and see if this is something we should get behind. Sounds good, but that's a note of optimism, Adam. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was a story, I think it was a week or so ago, I saw clips on the news about, you know, doctors and how are we going to, how are you going to be serviced by a doctor who doesn't look like you, essentially? Uh, But we've been doing this for a long time. Like, we need a fire department that represents the community. We just need a good fire department. That's an insane, it's an insanely racist concept that you need a fireman who look like you. Well, it's like like what's happening in the literary world, where you can't write a book about, you know, an African-American if you're white. You can't because some sort of appropriation. So how far do we take this? Like my husband's an author. Can he not write about women? He can't have any female characters. Okay, like (laughs) he could only write a book that has white men from Philadelphia. That's it. (laughs) Like we've crossed the Rubicon on all of this. And thankfully, it is coming back to bite us in the ass in a way that hopefully is painful enough that we realize how far we've we've overshot. You know, that's that's my hope. You guys, such a good discussion. Thank you. I know that, you know, it's these are dicey topics. So I appreciate you. Adam's always like, I'm here. Drew, um, I hope we didn't make you too uncomfortable, but really enjoyed it all. Appreciate it. Thank you, Megan. All right, guys, to be continued. And tomorrow, speaking of, uh, they'll talk about anything. The Ruthless Podcast guys are back. So much to go over. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.